tonight's scripture reading is from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women, our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as though he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. They then told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. So two disciples are walking down a dusty road on Easter Sunday afternoon. We know one of their names, Cleopas. It means son of a renowned man. Must have had a cocky father. Um, Austin, what would you name your kids? <laughs> Daughter of a great guy. <laughs> but that's what he is named. So he may have been from a powerful family. We don't know the other guy. One tradition uh, is that he could have been Luke. It was common in that time to write stories about yourself and not mention your name. If that's true, Luke is uh, a fairly well-educated man, a doctor. He's a good writer. And so these are not just uh, uh, people who have n nothing to lose. They uh, are people from prominent circles who have decided to follow Jesus. They've fallen in love with what they thought they knew about Jesus. They had 
heard his teachings. We don't know if they're within three years or two years or one year, but they'd, they'd been with him. They'd seen his miracles, uh, and they were in love with him. And they thought he was going to redeem Israel. They thought he was going to bring in a revolution. And then it all fell apart. That weekend, it had all fallen apart. And they still couldn't get their heads around it. Uh, the guy they loved, this great Messiah, had been murdered. They'd run out to the tomb that very morning, and you know, some women had said that he wasn't there, but they didn't know what to do with that. And so they are just walking in their confusion down this dusty road, trying to get out of town, protect themselves. You know, there are a lot of ways, like we are not like these two guys. This is a very unique time in the history of the church between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and all that. But I think the reason why this story has resonated so deeply with us as believers over the centuries is because sooner or later we all walk the Emmaus Road. If you sign up for this, if you decide to follow Jesus, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how well you think you know him, there will come a time, and maybe that time has come for you this week, where everything falls apart. Where what you thought was supposed to happen when you signed up to follow Jesus is most certainly not happening, and he is most certainly not behaving the way God should behave. I thought I'd be married now. I'm still single. I thought marriage would satisfy the ache in my heart. It hasn't. I thought Jesus was going to take away my chronic pain so I could serve him still there. I thought my depression would lift, but it's come back. I thought I'd love staying at home with my son, but I feel so lonely. I thought this group of friends would really understand me. They don't. I thought I'd be a best-selling author. Instead, I write columns nobody reads. <laughs> I thought my business would take off. Didn't. I thought God's purpose for me was to be a mother. I can't get pregnant. I think we all walk the Emmaus Road. There are times when his disciples, uh, his will for our lives becomes unclear and we doubt him. I'm looking at this story, and one of the things I do when I marry a couple is uh, I pray about what verse to share at their wedding, and then I write their name uh, next to the text, and try, I don't always, but I try to pray for them whenever I read the text. And I was looking at this one, and I have a name of a couple who I married a number of years ago, and uh, um, they made it eight months. 
it wasn't what they expected. Lots of things weren't what they expected. We all walk the Emmaus Road. Well, while they're walking, Jesus joins them. And Luke says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And I've always puzzled over that. You know, what, what does that mean? You know, why couldn't they see Jesus? Uh, you know, on one hand, if you think about their emotional state, they've seen someone they loved murdered. And now they are in danger for their own life. And, and they've also just experienced a radical career change. Uh, they were going to follow Jesus and help him establish this new kingdom, and now they're out of work. Sometimes I think when you experience great stress and trauma, it, it can keep you from seeing Jesus. They're also disappointed with him. They're frustrated with him. Their faith is weak. Perhaps that's another reason why they can't see him. If you've ever read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's that beautiful little scene where only Lucy can see Aslan because she has the strongest faith. When, when life kind of chips away at your faith and erodes your faith, it's, it can be harder to see him. One translation has it, uh, their eyes were restrained from seeing him. You know, maybe Jesus intentionally dulls their eyesight so that they will learn something from him. I don't like that possibility, but maybe if you're here tonight and you don't see him very well right now, maybe he's actually allowing that to happen for some sovereign purpose that, that you or I don't know. I don't like it when preachers say, if you don't feel close to God, well, who moved? Um, I, I don't know who moved. Maybe, maybe nobody moved. Maybe you just don't see him. Um, well, he asks them what they're talking about. And so much of this story is really just a conversation. I mean, there's not a lot of plot here. It, it's just a good conversation. A lot of good stuff can happen in a good conversation, can And so he comes in, the stranger comes along, and he starts to ask them questions. And, and they, of course, recite everything that they have witnessed. Jesus, a man who was a mighty prophet in deed and word. He was betrayed. He was condemned to death. He was crucified. His tomb is empty. And they go through all that. And then Jesus, you know, he does it again. He doesn't do what? He is supposed to do. I found an old box of things that I'd kept from high school. And when I first became a Christian in 1976, when I was 14, um, somebody gave me this little picture of Jesus, a little painting of a white male who looked kind of like a 70s therapist. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I kept that in there for years. I think I still have it. And and one of the things that I think the Lord brought that up today is because that formed my understanding of how Jesus should respond. Like a 70s therapist. And if, if you read the Gospels, he's a terrible therapist. 
he does everything wrong. He's had no training. He'd never get a license. And, and this is one of those times he should comfort these poor men. Guys, guys, guys. He doesn't comfort them at all. He kind of um, challenges them. He, he, he says, you're fools. <laughs> That's not a great therapeutic technique, usually. Um, and the word he uses doesn't mean stupid. It means somebody who doesn't understand it. And he says, because you're slow of heart. In the, in the Bible's way of thinking about us, the heart is the center of your deepest longings, your deepest passions, your deepest desires. And, and I think what he's saying is something like this. Guys, you were with me for three years. I talked again and again that suffering precedes glory. I said that to you. I quoted the prophets to you. But your hearts never engaged the message. You liked the, the victory part. You liked the redeem Israel part. You signed on for cabinet positions. But you just your heart never really formed around the paradox of the cross. You never bought into it, guys. Makes me mad. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying. It's hard to buy into, isn't it? It's so hard to buy into. This past week, I had the honor of going to Reverend Johnny Skinner's uh, 65th birthday party. Johnny's down at Mount Zion Baptist over in Brooks Road. and he's He's been a good friend. He's been there about... 24, 23 years. And, um, one, it was a lot of fun. His people were there, and then maybe 15, 20 African-American pastors or so. And The first thing that was cool was singing happy birthday with 15 African-American pastors to uh, the Stevie Wonder version. That was cool. <laughs> that, was, that was really cool. And then Johnny was, was asked to make some remarks, and he got up, and he, he got a little silly, and he got himself into a little bit of trouble, uh, said something that crossed a little bit of a line, and so the, the pastors rather enjoyed watching him squirm, and so they, they started to kind of get into a call and response, and they started to say, fix it, preacher, fix it, and he'd try to dig his way out, and then they'd say, quicksand, quicksand, and it, and it, it was just delightful. It was just, just delightful. I'm glad you don't do that when I... <laughs> Across the line. Quicksand. That was my great line. You're going down. Quicksand. And then it got quiet. And Johnny said, uh, you know what I've learned? It gets harder. He said it gets harder. And I think one of the reasons I'm so drawn to the African American church, I find myself there and with African American pastors more than with white pastors at this season of my life is just they tell the truth about suffering. Now there's glory too. There's glory there too. But they embrace the suffering. And, and, and I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying here is that they just had not wrapped their minds around that part of the gospel. Have you 
Do you know what you signed up for? Sometimes I think I'm learning this thing all over again. You ever feel that way? After all these years, like, I feel like those guys on the road. We're starting all over again. Well, Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That's the first sermon I'm going to download in heaven. Can you imagine? (laughs) Golly. Jesus going back to Moses and just unpacking the word of God and how it all points to him being the perfect sacrifice on the cross and, and the redeemer of the whole world, my goodness. Now later they will say, were not our hearts burning within us when he opened to us the scriptures? Mm. Mm. You know, that's, that's what the word is supposed to do. That's what the word is supposed to do. It's just supposed to turn our heart on fire. You know, uh, we just, if you're a guest, we just went through this series, um, and I taught a lot of doctrine. It was the time when I wanted to really lay down for us kind of our core of our doctrinal beliefs. And, you know, it was, I think it was hard for you, and I think it was hard for me. To, I've been preparing for it for about three years. I probably read over a thousand books and articles in preparing for it, and uh, I, I, I'm just exhausted. And you know, I can tell you're exhausted too because a lot of you stop coming <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> and we've been together long enough now that I love you and I say, hey, where have you been? <laughs> this is boring. I'll be back. <laughs> you know. Now, finger wanker. Now, I don't apologize for teaching you, doctor. I'm not going to do that again. 21 weeks is a long time. We've done it. You know what I regret? Is I didn't figure out a way how to open up those doctrines that lit your heart on fire. See, that's on me. Uh, it's a little bit on you, but it's, it's mostly on me. See, that's what doctrine is supposed to do. If I had really gotten it right, and I, I think the, we'd be turning people away. Because that's what doctrine is supposed to do. It's supposed to light you on fire. So I I want you to pray for us this summer. My heart for us this summer is for fire. That our hearts would ignite. And I've got two friends I've asked to come in and help. Uh, Next week, uh, Daryl Arnold, pastor at Overcoming Believers Church, is going to come. I'm going to be at the Smoky Mountain Swim Meet with our Emerald Swim Team. And, you know, if, if you don't believe in hell, um, uh, join me next week. <laughs> and I'll show you what it's like. You know, I, I told somebody once, if I only had one day to live, I'd spend it at the Smoky Mountain Swim Meet because it lasts forever. And I... I <laughs> 
but never die. Um, so I will be there. Um, but my goodness, Daryl just, when I'm with that brother, he just ignites my heart. So I said, would you please come? And he's going to be with us next week and preach a Jesus story. And, and then the following week, I've asked my friend Judge Pippin to come in. We're going to be up in uh, Albany. My daughter is in uh, singing in the rain at the Park Playhouse in Albany, New York. So we're going to go up, and I got my big sign that says, "That's my daughter." You know, we're going <laughs> to I'm going to kind of go cheer her on. And I asked my friend Judge Pippin to come in. Now, Judge is um, uh, over at CARM, the rescue mission, and he works with Launchpoint and. Judge is a, past, is a former pastor, and he's going to share his story, so this doesn't violate a confidence. Judge began to struggle with pornography in college, and that laid the seeds of a sexual addiction that 20 years later destroyed his marriage, led to a divorce, and loss of ministry. And Judge looks back now, 10 years later, and sees that at the beginning of a period of restoration and healing for him. And uh, he's remarried again to his wife. And <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? And he's back, uh, has a wonderful ministry at CARM. And it, it, it just seems like the more uh, we're walking together as a family, the more we keep bumping into addictions. Just we're really struggling with that, people of God. Not just sexual, but lots of them. And, um, so I, I think that's another thing that can really pour water on the coals of faith is, is addiction. Um, so Judge will be here that week. Um, so let's pray that our hearts would burn. And, and as I'm not in the pulpit the next two weeks, I just if you'd pray that my heart would start to burn a little bit more or a lot a bit more. Well, there's this great scene. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. And I always wondered, you know, it's like, I, you know, like, guys, you know, do you want me? You know, and and I love that because I think it's a picture of prayer. You know, it's, Jesus wants to be there. He wants to be with you. He wants to bless you. He wants to love us, but he wants to be invited. And so they invite him. They sit down, they have a meal for him, says that they break bread with him, and he blessed it, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now the, the church fathers uh, often saw in this the Eucharist, right? That's a great picture of the table. And our later commentators point out that all through Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus is eating with sinners. He just loves to show up at the table. And he particularly loves to show up around brokenness at the table. I think that broken bre- that brokenness theme is so attractive to him. And you, when you look at what these disciples have just done, they've sort of begun to trust him, and they've begun to open up their hearts and share their deepest fears and hopes. And, and Jesus just loves a table where people are sharing what they're afraid of. He just loves it. And there's, there's a way in which we encounter him in fellowship around a table when people are being honest that it's just hard to get to. 
I was, in a, I was in a meeting a while ago, and it was a meeting to work on a particular thing, and, but the Holy Spirit seemed to have another agenda. And at the end of the time, a young lady in the meeting said, um, I'm going to burst. And, you know, I, I walk with God so closely that I thought she needed to go to the bathroom. Um, I just really discerned that. Um, and that wasn't what it was. Um, she said, I said, okay. She said, uh, no, no, I got something on my heart. And, and I asked her if I could share this. And, and uh, she said, I, I, just, I just need to tell you, I, I'm really, really upset about my body. She said, I, I go to our church and all the women seem thin and I'm gaining weight. And she said, I, I know this shouldn't matter, but I, I feel like I'm not lovable and that God doesn't love me. And I feel like I need to look at her and her and be in their bodies for God to love me. And it was just one of those moments and she got quiet and we all got quiet and then she said, I think it goes back to my mom. Never really felt she loved me. Always felt she loved my sister more. I think the only way someone will love me is something beautiful. It was just this sacred moment, and it, it opened up this, this space where Jesus just kind of rushed in. And for about 20 minutes, uh, some of the most profound conversation that I've ever, I've ever known. And I think there's, there's, there's something to that, that the Lord likes to be drawn into disciples who are broken. Well, you heard how the story ends. The the disciples don't clean up the dishes or anything. They just run all seven miles back to talk about what they've seen. They can see now. Um, You know what? A couple of things came to me as I was thinking about this. It's... um, what if they hadn't had the conversation? I mean, when I'm kind of discouraged and confused and a stranger walks up to me you know, or sits by me on the plane or the bus, like, oh, thank God for earphones. <laughs> you know, just can't hear you. I'm uh, listening to a sermon about communicating or something like that. Um, <laughs> What what happens when we miss a conversation like that? You know, when when your wife is just trying to get there, or your child, or your roommate, or your father, um, and and you're just kind of in your own pain, and you just don't want to go there. I mean, think of how the story would end if they'd never had the conversation. They just walked right on. 
So maybe one of the things we take away from this is just how important it is to create space in our lives for those conversations. And, and I have a theory. Um, texting doesn't count as one. So I wonder what it would be like if, if we could slow down enough as a people that when I really needed to have a conversation or you really needed to have a conversation, if, if one of my daughters really needed to say, do you know what it's like to be pregnant and lose control of your body? Dad, do, do you know? Do you care? The other thought I had as we, as we ended this is, This is a wonderful picture. Jesus provides a wonderful picture of spiritual friendship. Of what it looks like to be a really godly friend. He comes alongside. He walks. He engages in conversation. He draws them out. He listens well. He opens the scriptures to them. He goes as far as they invite him in and they return with a clarity of calling and a burning heart. You know, if you ask me, you know, what do you hope for us as a people? That's it. You know, if, if, if we could walk that way with each other, we'd get to Emmaus eventually. Now, if you're like me, the first tendency is, well, who walks with me like that? Don't. Stop it. If uh, Maybe you don't have somebody in your life like that. Then you be that to someone else. Let's pray.